Welcome to RCV Clips, short recordings and interviews designed to introduce listeners to helpful tools and brief explanations about ranked choice voting and how this voting method works. These clips are produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center, a compilation of best practices and first-hand experiences from jurisdictions that have used ranked choice voting, also known as RCV. The website, www.rankedchoicevoting.org, and the overall project serve as resources for election administrators, voters, policymakers, candidates, and for anyone who wants to learn more about ranked choice voting. We are not advocacy-focused. Rather, we aim to provide resources that allow jurisdictions to implement RCV effectively and efficiently. The RCV Resource Center team is comprised of former election administrators who have conducted statewide, municipal, and district RCV elections. I'm Morgan Chance, a fellow with the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. Today, I will be talking with Chris Hughes, staff attorney at FairVote and liaison to the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center about the history of ranked choice voting. Hi, Chris. Thank you for joining me today on the other side of the podcast. I'm happy to be here. So ranked choice voting is used a lot in a lot of localities across the country, you know, and most recently in Maine's primary, primary earlier this month. But RCV has a longer history in America than most people realize. Can you give us a little bit of a summary and tell our listeners about where and when other places have adopted ranked choice voting? Sure. So I think the, the first thing to say is ranked choice voting was actually invented in the United States by William Ware, a professor at MIT. He was an architecture professor, but his hobby was election methods, which might be relatable for some of our listeners. Um, and so he invented the single winner ranked choice voting form, which he called instant runoff voting way back in the 1860s. And, but then, you know, the idea floated around for a little while. It didn't get adopted many places. And then starting in the late 1800s and early 1900s, um, there, there was this push for the adoption of multi-winner ranked choice voting, the proportional form in foreign countries in Australia, um, primarily in Australia, a little bit in Ireland and Northern Ireland. And also it got adopted in two dozen American cities as part of the like progressive movement in the early 1900s. And Jack Santucci actually has, who was on our history of RCV webinar, has this great uh, paper that he wrote all about those dynamics, why ranked choice voting got adopted in those places, the story of ranked choice voting. Uh, but there's this other interesting history of ranked choice voting in the United States that isn't really covered as much. Uh, we just don't know as much, but I've done some research into it, and I think we can talk a bit about it today. But um, there's a lot of forms of ranked choice voting, but the two primary forms of single winner ranked choice voting that were used in the United States in that same time period as when multi-winner was adopted in those two dozen cities were called Second Choice and Bucklin. And they were primarily used in party primaries at the state level for Democrats and Republicans. And they were used for about 20 years in about 10 states. We think they might have been more used in more states, but we aren't sure. We're sort of still trying to do the research on that to learn more. Wow. Wow. That's actually really interesting. And and I was hoping you could tell our listeners a little bit about, you know, why these places adopted this, you know, these different kinds of kinds of RCV and, you know, which kinds of RCV were used in these places in the United States. Sure. Yeah. So I'll, I'll talk about the second choice in Buckland voting places first. Um, so I'll try to describe how they work really quickly because the more interesting thing is that they were used at all. Second choice voting was more or less what it sounds like. Voters were given 
a two-rank ballot, so they could choose a person they liked the most and a person they liked second most, no matter how many candidates were running. Um, and that was used in four states, in Florida, Indiana, Maryland, and Minnesota. And then there's also Buckland voting, which was used in six, maybe seven states. Um, and Buckland voting, you still have those like two choices that you can make, but instead of um, second choice, which works like an instant runoff where uh, you know, if your first choice vote doesn't win, we count your second choice instead of your first choice. Buckland voting just added all the second choices to all the first choices. Uh, and so they were both adopted because people wanted to be sure that the candidates who are running and winning in these primaries actually did have majority support, which is the same sort of thing we're going for with ranked choice voting now with how it was used in Maine last week. They adopted it, but in Buckland voting in particular, they're were some issues with strategy because if you have the ability to rank or for your second choice to also count, then there's very little benefit to you actually ranking someone second. It's really only to your benefit to rank someone first because otherwise your second choice is gonna dilute that first choice you made. And so they adopted it to get this majority support, but it ended up sort of making people more divisive and getting more aggressive about uh, candidates getting more aggressive about asking their voters to only rank one person. And second choice, similarly, was interested, or these four states were interested in getting uh, majority support. But again, the parties sort of were happy with the results, but they didn't love the results. They, The complaint we've seen, the contemporary complaint, though we still need to dig into this more, is that people felt like their uh, the results of the elections weren't actually changing. And I'm guessing these places still don't use uh, this, these forms of RCV? <laughs> right, exactly. I, I maybe was <laughs> uh, foreshadowing that a little bit. But yeah, these both Buckland and second choice voting eventually got repealed in all these states. Either in, in some cases for Buckland, it was declared unconstitutional because it violated um, not one person, one vote, which wasn't actually a like constitutional principle yet, but similar tenets of how much power an individual voter ha was thought to have under the constitution. Um, so it was declared unconstitutional in Minnesota and I believe also in California. And then other places just started repealing it because they weren't seeing the sorts of results from the reform that they wanted to see. Um, and second choice, like I hinted at earlier, second choice got repealed, not because of the strategic voting concerns, but more just because people felt like the results weren't as impacted by the reform as they wanted them to be. So they were sort of just disillusioned with the reform not having a larger impact on the politics. Right. And I actually do have another question. There are cities in the United States that have been using ranked choice voting for a long time, like Cambridge, Massachusetts, for for instance. Can you sort of talk a little bit about the Cambridge experience and their history of RCV? Yeah. So I should talk a little bit about more of these multi-winner places. So Cambridge oh, is one yes. of those 24 cities that adopted multi-winner way back when in the 1910s and the 1920s. Um, and Massachusetts in particular had this law that allowed localities to cities to adopt multi-winner ranked choice voting for their city council and for their school boards. And seven cities ended up doing that under that law, but all of them ended up repealing it because um, 
and the politics of multi-winner ranked choice voting are a bit more complicated than second choice in Bucklin, but uh, they ended up repealing it because of concerns or because party bosses who sort of got put out by proportional representation started fighting back, making alliances with less popular parties and dismantling the reform. Um, you saw some issues with racial animus when more diverse candidates, people from minority communities got elected uh, to these predominantly white boards and caused some backlash in the community. You also saw issues with election administration where lever voting machines got introduced and they couldn't, they weren't designed for ranked choice voting. They weren't designed to take in ranks. So Chris, you talked a little bit about Cambridge and sort of how Cambridge has been using, you know, RCV for the longest time in the United States. Can you sort of talk about, you know, how it's, you know, sustained there for so long? Yeah, absolutely. So they've been using it for almost, for 77 years, 78 years this year. Um, And it's been really interesting to see how, you know, for about the first 50 years of their implementation, they hand counted their ballots. People would just write their ranks in uh, a couple squares next to each candidate's name saying, like, write the number one, two, three, four, and so on. And then they moved to a computerized tabulation system in the 90s where people could fill in bubbles on a grid, um, but they had to do some special processing of the election data to make sure they could run the actual tabulation, the round-by-round count uh, of their election. And then starting next year, they'll finally be moving into this modern era of uh, internal tabulation algorithms in voting machines for ranked choice voting. And so I think to get to, back to your actual question, how did the, how they sustained it, it, it seems like based on the history we've seen of Cambridge, it just sort of became part of the electoral fabric of the city to use ranked choice voting. And so their use of it uh, survived the repeal of the local options law at the Massachusetts state level in the 1950s. And, but Cambridge liked it a lot. They, they thought the results, that the results were what they wanted out of their elections. Uh, and so they stuck with it even as the state legislature kept other cities from adopting the method. And, and you know, we see in, with these 77 years of experience, it's just how elections work in Cambridge and people uh, are used to them. They understand it. They, and they, they sort of find it just to be the sort of election that they want uh, in their city. Uh, and there was actually a really interesting piece that Jack Santucci put out. I think it was just about a week ago about this lever voting machine that IBM, like the computer company IBM, actually mm-hmm. did invent in the 1930s when New York was still using or was about to start using multi-winner rank choice voting that could have taken in up to 20 ranks. Oh, wow. uh, which is wild. And it's interesting because we, for a long time, you know, going back <laughs> to these 80 years, we've had issues with voting machines, voting machines not having the capability acting as a barrier to ranked choice voting. But, you know, with IBM, you see if there was a will, there was a way. But it, it just, they didn't end up adopting that, or they didn't end up using that machine, even though it was invented and appeared to work. Yeah, that's really interesting. And we can see how, you know, voting machines and, you know, party politics at the time um, sort of led to the decline of, you know, implementing ranked choice voting or keeping ranked choice voting. Um, So sort of based off of what you've said, you know, what lessons can be learned from these jurisdictions that, you know, implemented ranked choice voting and then um, ended up repealing it? Sure. So 
I guess one thing I noticed actually when I was looking over things today is the same arguments that we see being made against ranked choice voting now were getting made against ranked choice voting then. So opponents were saying things like it's too complicated for voters. They were saying it takes too long to count the election. They were saying that it won't have the like reform impact you're looking for. And and they were also saying, you know, the voting machines can't do it. <laughs> and yeah. so that, that last one where I think we've really sort of gotten a handle on and the first two are more interesting sort of like political battles you have to have. But we we still have seen through our work with the Center for Civic Design and, uh, you know, with election administration partners across the country that voters 100% understand how ranked choice voting works. If you do a good voting education campaign, if you teach them how to rank, and if you have clear results presentation, people will figure it out and they'll feel, feel pretty confident about it, which is pretty cool too. We've seen interest a lot in the last couple of years and we're seeing it only grow since last week. Uh, so I think one, we can look to the past to see that ranked choice voting can be implemented uh, you know, if there's the energy to get it implemented. And you can see that the fights, your the battle lines are the same almost every time. Um, people getting arguing about the cost, arguing about voter education, arguing about making sure that the results are, are speedy but reliable. Um, and so knowing that the Resource Center and Fair Vote have taken those concerns really seriously and I think have done a lot of work to make sure that election administration can be smooth and straightforward for ranked choice voting uh, is a huge step forward to getting ranked choice voting adopted more places. And we can also see the fights to repeal it are similar to the fight we had in Maine in the last uh, two years, actually. <laughs> it's sort of crazy to think about, yeah. <laughs> but it's been almost two years since that law got passed. And it has been a fight ever since. There's been a fight for, between the activists on the ground and the the legislature. There were a lot of fights with the legislature dragging the law into court, doing whatever they could at the legislative level to stall it. You know, the other thing is that in the 1910s and the 1920s and the 1930s, they were running this voting method. And the real challenge is that it's different, not that it can't be done. Awesome. Well, that's great. And thank you for joining us on the other side of the podcast today, Chris. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today for our June RCV clip. This is a monthly segment produced by the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you get podcasts. Please take some time to rate and review our podcast. Our theme music is Flutterbee by Poddington Bear. Until next time, I'm Karen Brinson-Bell. On behalf of my colleagues, Morgan Chance, Chris Hughes, and the rest of the Ranked Choice Voting Resource Center.